We continue the Shir in Navi, story of the Estalkus of Eliyahu Hanavi, a passing that was was witnessed by his student, his closest disciple, Elisha Hanavi. And he had promised Elisha Hanavi, he told him, if you will be zechet to witness my departure, then your request will be granted. His request was that he become twice as great as Eliyahu Hanavi. Abinazel says, note though, his words were, let me have twice your spirit. Abinazel says this means that even if he has twice, it is still through the power of the spirit of Eliyahu Hanavi. Whatever he has still comes from his ribby. Now, when Eliyahu Hanavi was nostalgic, the Zayn Kodesh describes his astalkus. Remember we said he was one of those nine who did not die. So how did he leave this world? Exactly what did that entail? These, this chariot that came down made a fire, heavenly fire, into which Eliyahu Hanavi entered and rose upwards. It passed through, imagine for example, a rocket going up to the stratosphere, ionosphere, and so on, into space. The spaceship going up goes through different levels of atmosphere, and as it goes through these levels, it goes through the changes of temperature, it needs the heat shield, and so on. Now going still further up, this of course is infinitesimal trip compared to going up to heaven. On the way up to heaven, there is point of heat that is so powerful that the body of Eliyahu Navi was in a sense burnt off him, removed from him, and left, but not destroyed. It was left suspended. A certain section, this of course is not in this world, we're speaking about now the section of the heavens, it was left suspended in space, but heavenly space, to be used as a cloak as a garment to be donned when Eliyahu makes his visits to earth. His neshama, his soul alone, ascended upwards to heaven, and his body remained suspended. Every time he comes down to earth to be seen, not invisibly, but actually to be seen, to speak to certain tzaddikim that merited learning Torah from him, he does come in a physical form. Now this was not only the time the Gemara tells many stories about Eliyahu visits to earth, Rabbis who learned Torah from him, who saw him personally, in a physical form. But this was even done many generations later. In fact, comparatively, comparatively in recent times. Only 200 years ago, the time of the Baal Shem Tev, we had many stories of the visits of Eliyahu to this earth, where he was seen, witnessed by many people. In fact, even later than that. You can't go into details on as far or how far this extends, how close to our time, but certainly we believe that much closer than 200 years, there were tzaddikim who did see Eliyahu Navi too. Certainly, undoubtedly, we would say with a deep certainty, with the Muna Shlema that Abenazel saw Eliyahu Navi since Abenazel saw the Malach Memtes. So surely he had seen Eliyahu Navi. Now, rising up, ascending in this chariot, 
Torah says that Eliyanavi did drop something from the chariot, and that was his cape. Everything went up his clothing too, but his cape alone, with which he had struck the waters of the Yardin, dividing the waters, performing the same miracle that Meshad Abena did in dividing the waters of the Red Sea, this cape dropped to the ground, and as it fell to the ground, Elisha Navi picked this up and retained ownership of it. As he rose up out of view, Elisha Hanavi cried out very bitterly. His words were, Avi, Avi, Lechev Yisrael Parashov. My father, my father. He did not even say my rabbi, my father. Because a father is one who physically brings about the birth of a child. Elisha Hanavi considered Elia Hanavi his father rightfully. The Gemara says that one who teaches someone Teda, it is as though he gave birth to him, it is as though he created him. In this case, he felt that he was his father physically and spiritually, because he brought him to eternal life, not just to this world. He brought him to the powers of Kedusha, of holiness, and to the powers of eternity in Elam Haba. Ganeden is something that a rabbi gives to a student more so than a father does, unless, of course, the father teaches the son Teda. Also, he added, Lechav Yisrael Parashov, you are equivalent to the army of the Jews. The Jews do not require an army. They don't require an air force. You are, you were, the single individual who served as the army for the Jews, because you could affect any victory necessary in any type of battle. There are no numbers too great for you to defeat. And now he said, you are gone. When the chariot was out of sight, Elisha Levi sadly turned back. Now remember, they were outside of the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael, the actual boundaries. They were in Ever Hayarden, the other side of the Jordan. He had to return to Israel now. He came to the waters, and they were now back to normal. They were not divided anymore. So he took the cape of Eliyahu Navi, he rolled it up, he struck the waters with this cape, and he cried out, where is power Hashem? That means the heaviness of Eliyahu Navi. And suddenly the waters divided for him. To show that he too now could perform these miracles. Now, the Mephoshim ask, Adak, asks a question, why did Elisha Hanavi require the use of the cape in order to divide the waters of the Yardin? If, as is said, he had acquired double the powers of Elisha Hanavi, then surely he should have been able to divide the waters just with his word alone. The Medrash answers this point, Medrash says, that in fact, with this miracle, he displayed the double power, the Pishnayim, double the power of Elianavi. Because previously, the first time, Elianavi divided the waters, but he had at that time with him Elisha Hanavi. It was the Zechus of both together, which may have brought about this miracle. Here, Elisha Hanavi was alone which means it required double the amount of schus at least. 
And alone he accomplished what Eliyah Navi did before together with him. Another answer given by the Medrash is that when he called upon the power of Eliyah Navi, he actually called upon the spirit of Eliyah Navi to come back. And the waters were divided by the spirit of Eliyah Navi. The answer that would seem most fitting, according to the Benazol, would be that why did he have to use the cape of Eliyahu Navi? He used it deliberately to show, to display the fact that whatever he did now, he did with the Ruach, the spirit, the power of his Rebbe. Ruchacho Eloi. Everything I have comes from you. And he demonstrated this by using the cape of Eliyahu Navi to show that for the future, this will be this will teach us that every miracle he performed came with the power of Eliyahu Navi that was within him. So his first miracle after the passing of Eliyahu Navi was with the physical being, the cape of Eliyahu Navi, to show that every miracle he had, the greatness that he possessed now, was through the kayach and the ruach of Eliyahu Navi. The other prophets, the other Nevi'im, felt that perhaps Eliyahu had not really passed away. He had gone on a trip, as happened previously. At times, he just disappeared. And they asked for permission to search for him. Elisha and gave this permission, knowing that it was futile. They searched, and they could not find him, and they accepted the fact that he was gone. They accepted this fact very sadly, and they had to mourn his passing, though he was not actually a person who had gone through the process of death. In fact, we find that in the Shulchan Aruch itself, the question is brought up, whether we say that his wife would be considered a widow. <coughs> is she considered a widow or not? It's a problem in halacha, of course. We, it's not a problem that we have to solve today. We don't have people today who would have to go through that experience. But it shows, though, that there is that his passing itself is unique more unique even than the rest of the nine who had left the world without dying. From there, Elisha and Avi continued on to Yerichai, the city of Yerichal. Remember, this city was the city where Yechiel had rebuilt the city at the expense, the cost of his sons dying, according to the curse of Yeshua and according to the renewed curse of Eliyahu and Avi. Because of the curse of Eliyahu Navi, Torah says that now the city itself was cursed in a sense that the waters, which is the mainstay, the lifeline of civilization, the waters were not usable. They were not fit to drink. <clears throat> they were very bitter. And so they had to import water from out of town. Those who did drink it were just about poisoned by it. It caused the death of many of the inhabitants. So the people there complained to Elisha Navi and begged him to do something about repairing or perfecting, correcting the situation to get this, the water back to normal. He told them, bring me a new jug, receptacle, and fill this with salt. The jug filled with salt. Let's go to the place where the water comes from, the origin, 
And there he poured this salt into that place, and the waters turned sweet, which the Torah says was a miracle within a miracle. First place, how could you, if you poured sugar into a river, you couldn't turn the river sweet, especially if he did just the opposite, using salt instead, to show the power of the miracles, that it did not require anything natural or normal. The Torah tells us, interesting bit of information we discussed this before, we happen to have had this recently in our Gemara Shir, Gemara Saita, which was not too long ago, but trusting to your memories, I think this should be new, this information. Gemara says that uh, since the waters were that bitter, and since living there was practically impossible, how come that the people living there continued to live? Why didn't they move? Why did they adhere to this place with such allegiance, such loyalty? They refused to move to a different city. Pegimara says because there is a nature that Hashem placed into the world where a person likes that which he has more than that which is strange to him. There are people living in a neighborhood that is literally a slum neighborhood. Why don't they move? Because they become so accustomed to that neighborhood that to them, in their eyes, this neighborhood is better, finer, and more beneficial in every respect than any other type of neighborhood. This is chen mokem al yeshvav. A certain chen, a certain charm that a person sees in his own neighborhood. Somehow he clings to that neighborhood, he refuses to budge from it. Same thing the Imara says person has something, he buys a certain item, furniture of some kind, or a garment, and this garment, this coat could be practically in rags. He refuses to part with his favorite coat, no matter how badly, how bad shape it's in, or no matter what people think of it, no matter how they ridicule it, he refuses to change this, though he can well afford to buy a new one, refuses to trade this in for a different model or a different kind or a newer one because he's so accustomed to these, this coat or these broken down shoes that are so comfortable. And the same thing too, of course, you want to say about a person that has that type of a, a wife, the third item. A wife that's somehow to, this, to the husband, in his eyes, the wife is the most charming person on earth. Other people marvel to what did he see in this creature? <laughs> Their eyes would seem to be, uh, to say the least, undesirable. And yet, he idolizes his mate. For some reason, in his eyes, it's Chain Isha Albala. Husband finds his wife charming. Special type of Chain that's found. Sometimes it takes a little while for the Chain to set in. <laughs> Have patience. This is why the Gemara says the people living in Yericho, though they had no water supply, still they did not move from that city because they liked their surroundings. This miracle was done. There was, it did cause an after effect. There were groups of bands of youths who would make a living by bringing in water from out of town and selling this water at a heavy profit. 
as Elisha Hanavi walked out of this city, these youths followed him. Young men, 42 of them altogether, they followed him, they walked behind him, and they kept on yelling at him, derisively mocking, jeering him, and using very insulting terms. The words they said were, Alei Kereach, go up, get out. Kereach is an insulting term using the word bald. Get out, O bald one. Why did they use the word bald? The opposite of themselves. The opposite of, what they really meant was the opposite of Elianavi. Elianavi was known as Baal Seor. He had special hair, long hair, not the unkosher type. For a reason, there was a special reason for Elianavi's hair, according to Kabbalah. But Elianavi did not have his hair, so he said, compared, compared to your Rebbe, you are a Kereach bull. This is a very insulting term. And when they repeated this, he turned around. The Torah says he looked at them. He stared at them. And the Gemara says, what did he look? Why did he look? Because his look caused their death. The angry look of a tzaddik automatically causes the death of the person he stares at. In this case, a double miracle occurred again. From the woods, it came out two bears, there emerged two bears who attacked these 42 young men and killed every one of them. Double miracle because there was no forest nearby. There were no bears. It was a miracle within a miracle. But why the death of these 42? The Gemara says because he looked at them first, he studied them, he looked through them to the future. And he saw that they had no trace not the tiniest iota of any kedusha, any holiness in them, and that nothing good would come of them in the future either. There was no purity whatsoever. They would not even have descendants who would be pure, religious in any sense. So he saw that they were completely a wasted part of humanity, and therefore was fit to destroy them. Yomar says, too, that Medrash says, say that what did he actually look at? What convinced him? What determined the fact that these men were really useless? The answer was he saw that they had long hair, the back of their heads. They wore, they had hippie style haircuts. And this, you know, Zayri Kodesh said that this is definitely a sign of tumor. person has tumor, at least it's a hidden type of tumor. The tumor de tzutza, tumor that's open, tumor that can be seen openly, this is not only tumor, but it's also an arrogance. It's a chutzpah to show a person boasts, where does he put this tumor, the klipas, places it on a crown. The head is supposed to be the crown of the person, the mayach, the most important part of the person, the seat of the neshama. There are different sections to the person's soul. Nefesh, ruach, neshama, spirit, the soul. The highest section is in the brain, the head. The place where the tefillin are, which represents the symbol of faith in Hashem. There, to place this tumor, because the hair is definitely a sign of sheer tumor, 
tumor and and dinim harshness, the fact that it's an item that is associated with the tumor of death, an item that grows after death too. Show how tame it is. It is an item that grows out of the person, away from the person, it is pure waste matter of the worst type. A uh, person who grows long hair, this is a sign that he, he advocates this tumor, and in a sense possesses the arrogance of showing a pride in it. This merited the sentence of death for these, these wicked ones who follow the Lisha Hanavi. Now the Gemara says that there's no question about the fact that this crime was one that deserved the punishment. <clears throat> we do not dispute that fact. They certainly deserved this punishment. But the Gemara says despite that, despite the fact that they were Hashem, they were wicked, still, because Elisha Hanavi put them to death, he himself, in a sense, was punished later on. Uh, he was not punished for killing them. That, as we said, they deserved. But because he was the Tzaddik Emes, he was the holiest Tzaddik in the world, he possessed the greatest degree of Kedusha, and a true Tzaddik is not a Tzaddik who stays hidden in his private inner sanctum where he studies and practices religion. A tzaddik is one who goes out to the people, to those who are remote, those who are far from emunah, far from faith and far from Torah, and spreads the light of Torah to those who are so distant, brings them close to Kedusha, close to the Teda Mitzvahs. And this is what Elisha Navi should have done. He saw people that were so wicked, so evil, so far from religion, he should have made an attempt to try to bring them close, to purify them. He should have at least attempted it. For a tzaddik, there is no one that is too far away, that is too distant from religion. In any event, that attempt should have been made because he did not make it. The Gemara says that he was punished. He became ill later on. He suffered a sickness that was temporary, of course. This temporary sickness was a punishment for his not giving these youths a chance to enjoy his teachings, enjoy the, the opportunity of being enlightened by him. Now well, he left there. <clears> the <throat> Imara says too that this story was actually related to the story of Bilam, time of Meshrabenu. Bolok, the king of Mayav, had called, summoned Bilam. Bilam was the non-Jewish prophet to curse the Jews. He said to him together, Bolok with his magical powers and Bilam with his magical tongue would both try to effect a curse that would destroy the Jews. When Bilam came to Bolok, he told him, Bolak said, let us first offer a sacrifice to Hashem. Perhaps we can pacify, Kaviyahu pacify Hashem. He will accept these words against the Jews. And so the Torah says that Bolak 
brought a total of 42 sacrifices. When a Russia, the worst Russia, does, performs a mitzvah, it is considered very important, very high in the eyes of heaven. Meaning that then there are certain factions in heaven that take the Russia's part. And what does the Russia want? To do harm to the Jews. So as a result, the Gemara says, because of Bullock's 42 sacrifices, later on, 42 Jews died as a result. These 42 suffered death. It was brought about through a series of sequences. But these 42 died to correspond to the 42 sacrifices of Bullock. We find, too, in the case of Esau, as we mentioned, Esau came before his father seeking the bracha, the blessing, which had already been given to Yaakov. Esau cried out very bitterly. And Esau crying out so bitterly, these tears that he shed caused the deaths of untold thousands, tens of thousands of Jews in later generations to make up for the tears of Esau. This, of course, teaches us one important rule, at least it lets us understand a rule in the Gemara. The Gemara says that one of the greatest mitzvahs possible, conceivable, is the mitzvah of giving staka, especially giving staka to Tamidi Chachamim, giving staka to the poor sages, the poor scholars who spend their time studying Torah, which means supporting yeshivas. But then says, beware of collecting staka from Goyim. Do not ever give them the opportunity to have so big a mitzvah because that will boomerang, has for shown. It will turn about to give them the benefit of victory over the Jews, has for shown. That's why the Gemara warns about that very sternly. Never allow a Goy to be given this privilege. Has for shown, he should have the privilege and his record would show that his money supported the study of Torah. That should be avoided at all costs. Have faith that Hashem will provide for the needy without having to resort to the money of Goyim, which is always tainted with anti-Semitism. Their money has Jewish blood on it. We don't want that kind of money, which could again result in more Jewish blood later on. That's the lesson here with the case of Bullock's 42 sacrifices teaching us that we should always strive to avoid giving the opportunity to a goy to receive a mitzvah. Now the Torah tells us further the stories of the exploits, the miracles performed by Elisha Hanavi. The total number of miracles, a lot of stories here, short anecdotes told in the Torah, but the total number, the Medrash says, is exactly 16. There are 16 stories of the miracles performed by Elisha Navi, and the total number of Elianavi was 8, to show that he had this Pishnayim, this double amount, in many different forms. Now the Torah says that the kingdom of Mayav, king of Mayav, who had been paying taxes to Achav, the king of the Jews. We speak of the Jews, I was speaking only about the ten tribes. That's where Elianavi lived and Elisha Navi lived. Achav, the past king of the Jews, was very powerful. He had 
ruled over vast territories, and King of Moab was subservient, paid his taxes regularly. Nachav died. Now we come to the case of Yedom, the son of Ahav, who was king. King of Moab decided to rebel, revolt. He refused to pay taxes. This was a revolution. It called for war. Yedom, the son of Ahav, came to Yeshafat, the king of kingdom of Yehuda, king of the two tribes, the descendant of King David, and asked if he would join him in battle against the king of Moab. He agreed. They solicited the aid also the king of Edom. So they now had three kings against one, and they began to march, advance upon Moab to do battle with him. It was a long march, seven-day journey. They came close to Moab. They found that they no longer had any water supply. And they were actually in danger of losing the war just because of the lack of water. They were very desperate. And Yehoshaphat, the good king, the king of Yehuda, asked, isn't there a Navi here, prophet, who could help us? We can get the word of Hashem. He was told there is. Elisha Hanavi is nearby. So he said, let's call upon him to tell us what our future is and if we could be saved. If he could perform some kind of a miracle to save us. The wording was, he was told there is Elisha Hanavi. The word used there, the Gemara stresses very strongly. Here, they said, is Elisha Hanavi who poured water on the hands of Eliyahu Hanavi. Now, they could have said a lot of things about Elisha Hanavi. Elisha Hanavi, who is the greatest tzaddik in the world? Who is the greatest rabbi in the world? Who is the greatest student, the greatest Talmud, the greatest disciple of Eliyahu Hanavi? Or who is the greatest miracle performer? And yet, when they had to speak about his greatest feat, his greatest act in his life, they said he poured water upon the hands of Eliyahu Hanavi. Why is he now? This was the answer to all the questions. Why is he the biggest Navi? Why is he the greatest Sadiq? Why did he inherit the mantle of Eliyahu Navi? Not because of the Torah he studied, not because of his purity, not because of his miracles, but because of the fact that he served Eliyahu Navi. Here we learn clearly that Shemush is greater than Limud, than Talmud. He's serving a Sadiq is greater than studying Torah from the mouth of a tzaddik. We find this throughout all generations, that the disciples, the closest ones who took over after a tzaddik was not the wisest, not the most learned, but the closest one who gave the most service. He poured water for Eliyahu Navi, and this too, the Medrash says, also meant to imply the power, his miraculous powers, even during the time of Elianavi, his faith in Elianavi, the time which brought about these miracles. Because when Elianavi was having this contest with the false prophets on the top of Mount Carmel, when he told them, let's both build an altar and place a sacrifice on it, you false prophets pray to your idols for a fire to descend and, and consume your sacrifice. I will call upon Hashem to send the fire down to consume mine. When the false prophets failed in their attempt, he then said, Now, to show you how great the power of heaven is, power of Hashem, he said, I'll place the sacrifice on this altar, 
In order to consume it, you have to have a fire. And in order that the altar, the center, be filled with water, completely filled with water, and have a fire consume that. Where did the water come from? He told him, pour water once, twice, three times until it's filled. Where did that water come from? And the answer was, he asked Elisha Hanavi, you're the one that pours water. Pour. Pour with what? He took his ten fingers and placed it over the altar, and the ten fingers that spurted forth enough water to fill the altar. Now, how did he expect that water would come from his fingers? His faith, his amuna, and his rebbe was so great that when he told him, poor as you are, he was that certain that by placing his hands over the, the mizbeach, the altar, the water would come, and it did. Because emunah is so powerful that it results in reality, it materializes. This is what they said. Here is Elisha Hanavi who poured water for Elia Hanavi. He poured water because he believed in Elia Hanavi so much that he was able to produce water from nothing. They called, they summoned Elisha Hanavi, and when he came, note that we have three kings here. This is a very important point. Because we have Yehoshaphat, the king of Yehuda, who was a good king, a religious king, a descendant of King David. You have the evil king Yoram, the son of Achav, king of the ten tribes, who spread idol worship just as his father did. And you have the king of Edom, which is naturally one of the worst non-Jewish kings out. Edom, Esau. So you have two-thirds, at least two out of the three, were really Rishon. When they came before Elisha Hanavi, they came before them, all three descended from their coach in respect to Elisha Hanavi. They felt that he was superior to them. Instead of sitting up there as kings should, they got down before him and accepted him as their superior. The Tater says, because of this, because of their deep display of respect, because of this, they now deserve to have miracles done for them and to enjoy seeing the miracles. There's a special satisfaction, a thrill, in seeing a miracle performed. That these people, a wicked king of Israel, a non-Jewish king of Edom, to be zechot to witness the performance of miracles by Elisha Hanavi. And yet, when they came before him, Elisha Hanavi called out to the king of the Jews, Yehidam, and said to him, I cannot look at you. Yomara says, it's forbidden to look at the face of a Russia. I cannot stand to look at your face. Leave. Why do you come to me? Why don't you go to your Avedizona? Go to your idols if you have a problem. The king cried out and said, this is no time to chastise me, to reprimand. This is no time to arouse a ill feeling in heaven against these sins I committed. Now is the time for you to seek pity, to seek kindness in heaven. And so, Elisha Levi said, for the sake of Yehoshaphat only, I will give you the prophecy. Call someone to play an instrument, to play music. The power of music will fill me with the power of Nebuah, 
being able to receive the prophecy from heaven. He says, why did he have to have the music? He never used that before. Navi receives a message. Whether it's Nevoah or even in a lower form, Ruach HaKadosh. It is all shows the difference between the two, but still it is a message that comes from heaven directly to the Navi, and the, it is all describes the way it comes. Radically, that is a secret. It's too precious to reveal. Let something remain untold. But in this case, why did he have to resort to a musical instrument to bring him into better spirits? The answer is, the Gnarus says, that the Nebuah prophecy never comes to a prophet unless he is in a happy frame of mind. Because in this case, he displayed anger, curse, at the king of the Jews. Therefore, once a person shows temper, he cannot receive the power of Nebuah Kedusha. The Gemara says that if a person shows anger, if he is a Navi, and the, the ability to receive a message from heaven leaves him, deserts him, he cannot receive this message, and if he is wise, then he loses his wisdom. At the time of anger, he becomes a fool, in a sense. He sort of loses his mind. This is one possible reason. Medrash says the second reason was that we say it requires a happy frame of mind. Elisha Hanavi was up to this point and of it. He was in mourning over the departure, the passing of Eliyahu Being in mourning meant that he was sad. So he had to call upon someone upon a musical instrument, someone to play an instrument before him, play happy music that would bring him into a happy frame of mind. Of course, the Zoyedek Kodesh Abenazol explains in detail the last, last story of the Sipodimaceus, how the power of Nevoah, the power of Kedusha, is dependent upon the power of music. That one of the most important items of knowledge, of wisdom, is the knowledge of music, because this is something that is so high, refers to the highest of the elements, the highest of the heavens, is one that corresponds to music. The teda itself is divided into four parts. The letters, the teda, the crowns on the letters, the vowels, and the musical notes. These represent the four letters of Hashem's name. The highest one of these four are the musical notes. That's how high music is. Benazel describes Gan Eden itself. One of the most important pleasures of Gan Eden is the hearing of this heavenly music. And that's why through the playing of music, a Navi becomes refreshed and is capable of receiving this heavenly message. It was then that Elisha Navi said to the kings, the message from heaven is that you're going to see a miracle. There's been no water for seven days. You're going to get water, but not through rain. The miracle will be that this land will suddenly become a sea, a river. The land will turn into a river. You'll have plenty of water to drink. In addition, this miracle will itself become a second miracle that this will affect a victory for you over the king of Moab. Suddenly, this, his words came true, of course. They had this river flowing before them. They drank their fill, but from a distance, the 
king of Moab saw this river with the sun shining upon it that gave it an appearance of blood, a river of blood. And he said, undoubtedly, the enemy has probably begun a battle among themselves. They've destroyed themselves. It must be wiped out. It's a river of blood. Let's go down, descend, and collect the spoils. Let's take all the loot there is to receive from them. So they left their city, came down, and were soundly defeated. Very much so that the king himself escaped, went into the city again, and decided to <clears throat> take 700 soldiers, his best fighters, the strongest warriors, to attack the king of Edom. He said, how does this character join up with the Jews against me? We must take revenge from him. This was a very important point, because we could then understand a, an incident that occurred at the end of this battle. He went with these 700 men to attack, and he failed. He did not succeed in this attack. But he did decide on a second plan of action. This plan of action, though he was now left without any soldiers, these 702 were wiped out. This plan of action turned the tide of battle to a degree. This will be the next story we'll have. The coming Shear in Navi. Again, today's Shear, we have learned the importance of Emuna and Itzadikemis, the greatness of any Jew, even the lowest for lowest person, the greatest of the lowest, even in the case of the king of the Jews, who was so far from purity, so far from religion, because he showed in this case a faith and a respect for Lisha Navi, he was there to witness the miracle, the miracles, and to enjoy victory. We should be zechut to that true, pure emunah in Hashem, and in tzaddikim emitim, the tzaddik emes, and in the zechus of that emunah. We should be zechut to witness the miracles of Hashem with the coming of Mashiach, when all the enemies of the Jews will be completely obliterated. We should see with our eyes the pinyan beis hamikdash, Simple Claudius for the Claudius Well, Hida, Amen, be Amen. Amen.